The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, uh, part two of our free agency recap. Uh, I, I would say we're probably solidly in the middle of the third wave at this point. Uh, it, it's been kind of an interesting free agency period because there's not really a whole lot of like medical checks or visits that teams can do, so... Uh, a lot of teams are kind of flying blind, uh, flying blind here, but uh, it hasn't really stopped a whole lot of money from flowing into players' coffers. There's been a lot of major deals announced since we did episode one of this recap, including a ton of movement in the quarterback market, but we'll get into all that a little bit as we go on in the show. First things first, as always, my wonderful co-host EJ Snyder is here, and so I got two questions for you, EJ. What are you drinking, and how are you feeling? Uh, I think those questions are going to be related, or at least the answers will be related. I'm feeling fine, and what I'm drinking is a very nice tequila that I know you actually have because I bought you some when I came down to visit. Um, Cazadores Blanco, uh, oh, very reasonably yeah. priced tequila, but it's got a beautiful kind of floral. Um, I like it in a chilled glass. goes down very smoothly, uh, so I've got a, a small glass of that. So I'm feeling fine. Um Looking forward to talking about this second wave of free agency because we definitely have sort of gone over the peak. Lots of big money still flying around, but most of the high-level talent slid off the board by now. There's some good value depth signings left, but it uh, feels like we really sort of powered through the middle section. So I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, uh, one note. When you gave that to me for the first time, because normally I'm not really a tequila guy, uh, you, you gave me a That's little... That's what everybody says. But, oh my lord, that was one of the smoothest things I have ever drank in my entire life. Um, what was the name of it again? Uh, Cazadores, and it's the Blanco. So they yeah. make all three, a Reposado and an Anejo, which I have uh, versions of upstairs as well. But um, I really like the Blanco, especially in a chilled glass. You don't have to put ice in it. You can just throw the glass in the freezer for about 10, 15 minutes. Gives it a really nice, smooth finish. No heat whatsoever. Zero burn. Yeah, a little bit of fruit to it almost, uh, but nothing overpowering. Just good, solid, clean agave. Good stuff. It's it's dangerous. I'll I'll tell you that. It's dangerously smooth. Well, there's that. Yeah, Yeah, there's that too, but we'll, uh, we'll keep it in check. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of oh, went the do? opposite. You know that dead guy whiskey that was... Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Let's let's just say... Mm, eau de formaldehyde <laughs> wasn't the best whiskey. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's they, straight up, yeah. Yeah, it they it, so it's made by uh, Rogue. I guess they're called a brew distillery because they they're more known for their their dead guy ale, and they use the work from that to make whiskey. And uh, it smells a lot different than it tastes. So I mixed it with Coke <laughs> to kind of even Ooh. it out a little bit because I still got a whole bottle of Ooh. it. So that is now my 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 mixing whiskey, and it's okay so with it's- Coke. Dead guy in coke. It's yes, <laughs> yes. But I spent forty five dollars oh, wow. on the bottle, and I'm not, I'm not going to waste it in these economic hardship times. EJ, I'm going to make use no, of this really bad whiskey. I, you know, <laughs> reduce, reuse, recycle, and and I appreciate your adaptability. That's that's pretty solid stuff. But yeah, it's uh, that stuff is straight up. It um, it'll take the hair off. It's uh, it's something else. Yeah, if you ever want to play a prank on a family member, uh, just literally pour them a glass of that and watch them melt in front of your eyes. But uh, yeah, with that, let's let's get into something that's a little bit or a lot of bit more pleasant than dead guy whiskey. And let's talk about this quarterback market. Uh, obviously, we're going to start with the biggest name of the punch, uh, uh, Tom Brady, going down to Tampa, uh, signed a two-year deal, honestly kind of a, a friendly deal for both sides. And this fundamentally changes the landscape of the entire NFL, especially within the NFC and especially within the NFC South, which is obviously a very competitive division. Um, My personal thoughts on it. I think he chose Tampa just because they have an astounding array of weapons. And clearly that was important for Tom. He really wants to make another run at a ring. He didn't feel like new England was investing in his supporting cast enough for him to realistically make a run at a ring. Honestly, he's probably correct, especially if you have to get into a shootout with teams like Kansas City or Baltimore. Like they, just, they didn't have the firepower, so he was looking for a team that had firepower that he could actually make a run with. You look at Evans, you look at Godwin, you look at Howard. I mean, even Brait as a tight end number two. If you're running a lot of twelve personnel, I mean, there, there's so much there in Tampa. They don't obviously have a good offensive line. Um, but I think if he's getting the ball out quick enough, he can kind of mitigate some of their struggles up front. But just in terms of pure talent around him, it was one of the best possible situations you could have hoped for. Obviously, Bruce Aarons is a great coach. They have some defensive pieces that we can get really excited about. And I think even when you watch Tampa, which I don't know how many Bucks games you watched last year. I happened to watch quite a few of them because my brother-in-law is a Bucks fan, so I watched a lot of Bucks games with him. Really, they were a lot better team than people think. It's just the turnovers absolutely gutted them. And so if you get Tom Brady, who can just cut down on turnovers, and that's it. it. Just throw one or two less picks a game. This team's in business. They have so much talent. They do, they just need to not beat themselves, and they could very easily go on a pretty significant playoff run. Completely agree. And what Brady does for them besides that, because he will absolutely do that. He is a much more efficient player than Jameis Winston can ever hope to be. And that's been his hallmark throughout his career. You can say what you want about his arm going south. He's still got a very good arm, uh, especially in the first part of the season, but he is deadly efficient. He is not going to turn the ball over. And he's going to have to work hard, but he's always had to work hard in, in New England. They have turned over receivers left and right, so learning a new group of receivers is not a new thing for Tom Brady. But it's the way he's going to elevate that building 
this is a franchise, potentially franchise turning signing for Tampa Bay. This is the kind of thing that happened to Denver when they brought Peyton in. And he said, no, no, this is how hard you have to work if you want to win it. And everybody in the building didn't want to disappoint Peyton. So they all raised their games. Brady is going to do the exact same thing. He is going to grind. He has always been a grinder. He is going to be there and he is going to demand. And you bet your butt that the coach, uh, Bruce Arians, is going to say, nope, you listen to the man. This is the guy. He's got all the rings. You do what he says. And he is going to elevate his teammates, both on offense and defense. He's going to demand a level of execution that is higher than what Tampa Bay has been doing. And I agree with you. They were a sneaky good team last year. They scored a ton of points. They were very explosive. But, you know, they gave the ball away just as much as they scored. The, the very famous Jameis stat is 30 for 30, right? 30 touchdowns, 30 picks. If it's, you know, 28 and 5, which is a very likely, you know, Brady stat line, it, this team wrecks. Yeah, and and also, just from a team-building standpoint, We've seen reports of like high-profile free agents and a whole lot of players that have been contacting Tampa and saying, I want to play with Tom. I, I don't care what money you give me. I want to play with Tom. And that's the New England effect we saw for two decades. Of They'll take discounts to go play in New England because they think they can get a ring and they want to play with the GOAT. And I think from a team-building perspective, having a legend like Brady is beneficial because whether he takes 30 million or, or whatever his his deal was i think it was 30 million a year if you're still saving money on a whole lot of other players because they want to take discounts that can help you build a better team around tom which clearly he needs it's a better team than what new england was giving him and that can instantly elevate your roster into championship status when we look around the rest of the nfc um, you know, the saints will probably give them trouble because the saints are always good no matter what you know even with some of their 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 pieces aging uh the panthers i think are a better team than we think especially with teddy bridgewater who we're going to get into the nfc east is still a huge wild card we don't know how good um dallas is going to be we don't know how good the eagles are going to be we, we can't even trust the eagles to stay healthy half the time uh washington's still in the process of building the giants are still in the process of building the nfc north is I mean, we can we could talk about, you know, the Bears defense being elite all we want, but until we can see them figure out the quarterback situation, they might not be a threat. Um, the Packers are the Packers. The West is loaded, but there's still a lot of opportunities for, for Tampa to make a huge run in the NFC because I think the NFC isn't quite as top-heavy going into 2020 as maybe we've seen in the past. You know, a lot of the traditional powerhouse teams are in the middle of either rebuilding or just kind of getting younger. And so there is a window here. And that's not to say there's not good teams in the NFC. There are plenty of good teams in the NFC, but I don't see like a juggernaut in the NFC other than maybe San Francisco that's on par with the juggernauts that Brady would have to compete with in the AFC. I'm talking about Kansas City and Baltimore. Um, you know, there, there's there's less obstacles, I think, for him to get that all-important playoff by in the NFC than the obstacles he would have had to go through if he stayed with the Patriots. So overall, it's an extremely smart move for Brady. Um, it's, it's an extremely smart move for the Bucks too. They're going to be able to build a, a fantastic roster around him and take advantage of a conference that, for the first time in a long time, is really anybody's guess of who's going to win it. Yeah, it's a massive move, and you're right, the 
the path that he now has to the Super Bowl, which for years in the AFC East, it was an almost automatic buy. But if he gets that team rolling with the talent quickly and there's no reason to think that he won't, I completely agree that this is a franchise turning move and he can be right at that upper echelon very, very quickly. What would you say, again, just kind of keeping it in the NFC South, I I kind of think the Panthers were similar to the Bucks last year where they were they were honestly a better team than they got credit for. They lost some kind of gut-wrenching games, but early in the year, I felt like they they really showed what they could be with like kind of a gritty win over Houston and you know even when Cam got hurt, um you know Kyle Allen stepped in and I think played well for at least a few weeks and, and kind of showed the potential of what the roster could be if they had consistent quarterback play. Allen had a, a really horrendous fumbling issue, um, which cost them I think huge in some games. But there was still a lot of talent there, especially on offense. Uh, Moore is amazing. I think Samuel's a great. Uh, number two, McCaffrey is one of, if not the best running back in the league. Like they have pieces there. And I think you slot Teddy into a team that was looking almost good last year and just kind of giving, again, just like we talked about with Tampa, just giving that level of efficiency, not making mistakes, being able to convert in the red zone, protecting your defense from having to go out on the field more than they need to. You know, letting your uh, plethora of yak threats with Moore and Samuel and McCaffrey get work in space and just kind of relieving the defense from having to be on the field all the time. Again, this is a very sneaky, uh, sneaky good roster. And I personally think Matt Rule is also an excellent coach. And I think Joe Brady is an excellent offensive coordinator. Like what they're assembling there, I think a lot of Panthers fans are freaking out because there's a lot of turnover. But what they're assembling in Carolina, I think, is a better team than people believe. Yeah, I would say that they've reloaded uh, very quickly. And I'm a bit surprised that they made the move for Teddy. We talked about this on our free agent quarterback podcast that we did fairly early on after we launched the channel. And I just kind of tossed this out there as a, hey, I don't think it's going to happen because Rule's the new coach and he takes a couple of years to get going and wants to sort of break things down before he builds them up. They went out and got arguably, um, you know, the top flight mid-level starter if you're going to go past Brady and, you know, depending on your opinion of Rivers, they got the guy that's most ready to compete right now with the roster they have. They're ready to hit the ground and go. They've got a ton of offensive talent and I'm with you that they needed a good point guard. And that was the point I brought up on the free agent, the quarterback free agent podcast. And I just kind of tossed it out there and we both went, Ooh, wouldn't that be cool, but it'll never happen. And here, here it are. happened and it's going <laughs> to yeah. be fascinating to watch. Uh, I think Christian McCaffrey is doing a jig right now. He's super happy that he doesn't have to spend another year of his very short running back career, right? With a quarterback that doesn't know what he's doing. He's got a professional quarterback who is efficient and capable and is going to be able to make use of a bunch of those weapons. I think Samuel is the same way. Samuel has got to be doing backflips right now because he knows that he's going to get a lot more accurate balls than he got last year and going to be able to do something with him. Talk about a ridiculous yak threat. Same thing for DJ. So there's a lot of potential here. And, you know, that NFC South is going to be a really interesting division to watch with the imports. I think there's three teams that you can all legitimately see 
winning the South. Obviously, the Saints and the Bucks will be favorites, but the, the Panthers are just, they're flat out better than people think they are. They have a better coaching staff than a lot of teams around the league. I'm a huge believer in rule. I'm obviously a huge believer in Joe Brady, just seeing what, what he did at LSU and obviously his time with the Saints. And I think a coaching staff and an efficient quarterback, those are the two things that are the rising tide that lifts all boats. It really is. We saw that with New England for two decades. If you have an efficient quarterback and a coaching staff that knows what it's doing, I don't want to say the rest of the roster doesn't matter, but that can cover up a lot of a lot of holes. So I think Carolina is building it the right way. I will say uh, one of the, the quarterback moves that maybe I question a little bit more because he was the opposite of efficiency and he wasn't protecting the ball as much as we want him to is, is Phil Rivers going to the Colts. It seems like for such a long time we would see the Chargers in a one-possession game with two or three minutes on the clock and we see Rivers throwing a game-ending pick almost every time. Um, I just don't think we can trust him to be efficient at this point in his career I think he trusts his arm almost like he still thinks he's you know 30 or 31 when the velocity just isn't there anymore and he thinks he can make throws that he can't and I think he cost the Chargers a lot of games over the last couple years we can talk about bad protection all we want Um, we can talk about injuries all we want but at the end of the day the Chargers were in position to win a lot of games that Rivers threw away with picks, and I'm not sure I'm I'm feeling the move to bring him in for a year. Um, I I feel like there I feel like if they wanted to bring in an outside quarterback, there were better options. I understand why they were locked in on Rivers, but I just don't know if I agree with it. Yeah, we talked about this one as well, and we actually nailed this one. We said if there was a situation for Rivers to go to at this point in his career, that Indianapolis was the one for. A multitude of reasons. Indoors, really good offensive line, and a great coaching staff that, you know, is made up of a former quarterback, Frank Reich, famously, um, a famous, uh, you know, former quarterback, and is, I think, I'm a little bit different than you. I think that Reich is going to be able to turn the tables and say, hey, here's what you did that we still want you to do. Here's what we can't have you do. And here's some sort of sneaky tricks that I had to rely on because Frank Reich played a long time towards the end of my career when, you know, the juice just wasn't there. Uh, You know, don't go for this one. Throw it away. You know, check it down. We've got Marlon Mack. Throw him a little flare pass or screen pass. Pick up three or four instead of picking up an interception. And again, Rivers is a very heady quarterback, always has been. I think his brain is going to catch up with the fact that He's got a shot here, but he's got one shot. He's got better protection, but that doesn't mean fling it up there. That means do what your coach says. And if they can make that connection, if Reich and Rivers, who are two guys who I think can make a connection, make that connection, he can make them very much better uh, than they were last year quickly. If he doesn't make that one change, right, that if he can't rein in that one throw at the end of the game, that he thinks he can win with, we're going to see similar results. But I don't think we're going to see that. You know, if he breaks down completely physically, if he gets injured in game six or something, that may be it. That's fine. But I think if he stays in and sort of meshes with Reich in the offense, that we could see one good year out of him. No more, but one good year where he leads them on a um, almost sort of, you know, Brett Favre in his first year with the Vikings sort of a deal. 
um, where the physical skills had eroded, but the gamer was still there. And I, I know Rivers brings that. It's whether or not he can rein in, just like you said, that one or two tosses at the end of the game that turned the tables. I just think he's, we both agree, he's extremely smart. He, he pre-snap and post-snap, he's as brilliant as ever. The mind has not slowed down with Rivers at all. The problem is, you know, if if you've got to go, uh, if you got a, like a go route on against a two deep shell, and like the corner doesn't sink and he lets it go, and and you're holding the safety in the middle, and you know you have that whole shot on the boundary that ten years ago you're hitting with ease to Vincent Jackson or whoever, he doesn't have the juice to make that throw anymore, and I don't. At least last year, I don't think he knew that he didn't have the juice. Because, I mean, corners and safeties were just sitting on that. Like, they would they would sag off a little bit. Like, they were faking they were letting it go. And then they would just turn on the jets and sink. And the ball was there every time for them to get. Um, you know, if you if you get a quarters look and you're throwing double post. And he would try to lead the back post as much as he could. But he just couldn't do it anymore. Um, it's It's... I think if if this is going to work, Reich needs to beat it into his head. Three steps, ball out. Ball out, ball out, ball out. Don't try to throw it past 15 yards. You know, we're going to do the same thing that the Broncos did with Peyton Manning in 2015. Like, it is, we are running crossers. We are running spacing. Like, maybe if we get a two-deep shell, we'll throw a post over the middle if we can kind of, like, influence a safety out of the way. But don't throw the go ball ever because it's not going to work. Don't throw the deep out. Don't throw the dig. Like just, just stick to the quick game and the RPOs, and that can work. Anything beyond that is asking for trouble. He just doesn't have the juice. And I think Wright could do that. I think they. I mean, again, being a former quarterback, being a guy that played the position, uh, you know, at a high level, and say, hey, you know, sit down, have that very honest conversation, pull up the film, pull up all the egregious mistakes because there are plenty of them. Just last year with the Chargers, and say, look. This is going to happen over and over again. Dome or no dome, you know, this ball's not getting there. I don't expect your arm to rebound. In fact, I don't want it to rebound that way. I want you to do exactly what you're talking about. I want you to hit guys, guys, you know, on target, in stride, uh, when we run scissors, when we run, you know, four hooks. Like, pick the one and get the guy. Get the seven yards. Let's move. We're going to have to run that offense. And I think rivers will come to that understanding if he doesn't he'll fail i i think we're in agreement that if he's still like no no coach i got it hang on let me put the team on my back they're gonna fail but i think rivers is smart enough and will respond to reich's influence and say okay i'll do what you want me to do i think it's gonna be a bit of a rebirth i think he's really excited and again rivers has been a charger his entire career a change of scenery can be really invigorating if you've ever changed jobs after even one that you liked for a while you know there's good things there's new things fresh things to learn it's it's a challenge and i think he's going to resonate to that and if he can just get rid of that piece where he flings it especially at the end of the game he's got a shot to be to elevate that team yeah and i, I hope you're right because i i genuinely love philip rivers i know you do <laughs> i i love philip rivers uh, it's just watching him over the last couple of years has kind of, kind of broken my heart a little bit just cause I, I, I miss, you do cringe. I, I yeah, yeah I, I missed the fill from like eight or nine years ago, <laughs> but, yeah. um, this next one, since you're a bears fan, I want you to take the lead on it because it's a, it's a trade that 
honestly, I think as a player, I think we're okay with it. But the compensation that was given up for Nick Foles uh, both had us scratching our head a little bit because we both kind of expected him to be cheaper than a fourth round pick, even a compensatory fourth round pick. We both expected if there was going to be a deal, it wouldn't be for that. So maybe as a Bears fans, you can just try to give us an explanation of why, what, what pace is thinking here. Cause I'm not really sure. Yeah. They needed something. They, they couldn't come away without someone, uh, period. And they were, um, reportedly in on Teddy. Teddy chose the Panthers. I, I can't fault him for that. Uh, he go, again, goes to an exciting young coach, a uh, franchise that seems to be moving in the right direction, um, talented playmakers. Now, in Chicago, he had talented playmakers. You know, who knows how he meshed with the coaching staff. Uh, you know, Matt Nagy was considered uh, the Matt Rule of a couple of years ago, right? Uh, fresh, exciting young coach from the Andy Reid tree. So, uh, whatever. Teddy chooses Carolina, so that goes off the table uh, there was talk of Derek Carr. I had said, I didn't think Carr was going to leave. Everybody set up and down that Carr was going to go. And it really came down to, are you going to go with Foles? Or are you going to try and get Andy Dalton? And both of those guys are in the same position. You were going to need to make a trade for them or wait for them to be released. And, uh, Pace didn't, didn't wait for them to be released. He believed that grabbing Nick Foles was the right thing to do to bring in competition uh, is the way they're labeling it for Mitch Trubisky. I think Foles probably starts because, again, we talked a lot about efficiency at the top of the podcast. Nick Foles is going to be more efficient than Mitch Trubisky was with the ball. Does that mean Nick Foles is terribly efficient? No, it means he's about, mm, we talked about this on Bears Over Beers, uh, lower to mid-pack efficient. If you sort of carve up the league into three tiers, the top 10 or 11, the middle 10 or 11, and the bottom 10 or 11, depending on how you slice it. I would say he's uh, bottom of the middle third, but that's still probably 10 points better than Mitch was last year in terms of efficiency, in terms of being able to hit the open guy. There were a lot of schemed routes that were were open for Mitch to hit, and he never saw him and didn't hit him. So at the bottom line, Foles increases the efficiency of the offense. I think we'll see a more operable Matt Nagy offense. Is he a top tier starter. He's not, he's no more than a bridge. The fourth rounder is the piece that's most troubling because most people think he would have been released. Uh, the second part of this is if you're going to pay the fourth rounder, which I wouldn't have in the first place, you get Jacksonville to eat some of that salary, right? Cause and they, and they gave him a player option. Like they, they redid the contract yep. and gave him an option to get out after a year and then get even more money. It's like, wait, you you made a concession to him? Yeah. It, I, I really think this, this reeks of um, the Mike Glennon deal when there was nobody bidding for Mike Glennon and Pace goes out and throws big money at him. And it seems to be a pattern now that when Ryan Pace gets committed – to quote unquote his guy, he'll do what it takes. And that usually means trading up in the draft if it's a draft pick. And in high profile free agency situations, he'll throw big money in a concession so he doesn't have to not get his guy. And it's a bit hard headed. He has to be a little bit more, uh, let's call it situationally aware and let the market develop and say, hey, no, nah, I'm not giving you a pick. Let's see if he gets released. And if he doesn't get released, guess what? It's not a huge drop-off. 
The only saving grace for the Foles deal, uh, certainly not the draft compensation, certainly not the money compensation, because I would have wanted um, the Jags to eat a piece of that contract, is that Foles has familiarity with most folks on the staff. He worked with John D. Filippo, who's now with the Bears, and he also worked with Bill Lazor early in his career. And in this time that we're in, where there might not be organized team activities, and there might be very little time for teams to get together and practice, Foles is absolutely, of the two, the one that's going to be able to get up to speed the quickest between Foles or Dalton. Now everybody's going to say, well, Dalton worked with Bill Lazor too. He did, but he didn't work with DeFilippo. Uh, and he does come from a slightly different sort of offensive coaching tree in terms of scheme. Not that Dalton's not smart enough to pick up the scheme. That's not the point. The point is Foles already knows the scheme for the most part. It's the same scheme uh, largely that Peterson runs. It's a variant of the Reed system. He's got the most familiarity. He's going to get up to speed the quickest, but I think that's a fairly weak leg to stand on. So if you can't tell, not super wild about Nick Foles, Chicago Bears quarterback. Is he going to be better, functionally better than Mitch was on the field? Uh, I believe he will be. Uh, is that enough to get like really excited about? Uh, I don't think it is, but it does hopefully give Matt Nagy a shot to let us see his offense working when he has a quarterback that can at least function in it, who can hit an open route when he schemes one open. And he did that many times last year and Mitch couldn't hit it. So I'm tepidly excited about that part of it, but does Nick Foles give me any kind of warm fuzzies as the quarterback of the bears? He doesn't. I think an interesting angle to it is it kind of takes the bears completely off the table for taking a quarterback uh, in the first four rounds of this draft. Maybe they could take one on day three, but I, I don't think you're using, especially since they, they spent a fourth-round pick on him, I don't think you're using two of your top four picks. When you don't have a whole lot of picks in the first place and you don't even have a first-rounder, I don't think you're using two of your top four picks on quarterbacks in this draft. When, again, it, it's like I said earlier, it's more of a wide-open NFC than we've seen in recent years because a lot of the traditional contenders are not as insurmountable as maybe they were in years past. Um, I don't think when, if you're in a position to strike while the iron's hot, when you still have an elite defense, you still have some, some weapons you can build around on offense. The offensive line is better than people think. Um, they had a down, down year last year, predominantly because of injuries. But again, this team is, I think is still ready to go and ready to make a run. You're not going to use half of your valuable assets on, on quarterbacks that may or may not be ready to start. Um, so I don't think that they're going to be in the running for like a Jalen Hurts. I don't think they're going to be in run in the running for, you know, let's say Jordan Love falls to the late first round. They're not, they're definitely not going to be in the running to trade up for him anymore. Like th those picks that we see them use, it's going to be on interior offensive linemen. It's going to be on tight end. Um, it's going to be on corner. So this my my whole Jalen Hurts conspiracy to Chicago, I think, is completely out the window, which is fine with me. Um, and, and we're going to get Foles versus Mitch to be the starter. God help you, Bears fans. Um, I, I, I don't... <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that I have the same theory. I, I understand the reasoning. Uh, if Hurts is there, I think he gets taken um, because you need you're going to need a year. I don't think he comes in to compete. But he could absolutely be the backup, and what that allows you to do is trade Mitch for whatever you can get. If that's a conditional fifth, if that's a sixth, whatever you can get for Mitch 
anybody that will give you a pick, you can get a pick back. Call so, Bill O'Brien. He'll yeah, give exactly. you whatever you want. Now, <laughs> there are a lot of teams that did like Mitch. And, you know, we've talked about this before, that quarterback whisperers are out there and believe that they'll be able to fix him. And I can see Mitch as a guy that has a late career resurgence at his second or third team when the game finally slows down for him and he goes, oh, and he's a six- or seven-year veteran and goes, wait a minute, and hits that sort of late career Alex Smith sort of groove and still has a lot of physical skill to back it up. I could see that happening for him. It's not going to happen for him at Chicago. I think if Hertz is still there, maybe he gets taken. Other than that, I probably agree with you. No more high picks on quarterbacks, but I've got a different theory about this draft that Ryan Pace really needs to take the trade up mantra, chuck it out the window, and trade back with both of the second round picks and add a bunch of capital. And I've done it ever since the Foles trade. Um, I've run quite a few mock drafts. And, you know, set all the settings to difficult and random boards and the whole bit and traded back and seen what I could get. And you can make a very nice haul of it if you trade back. But if you trade up, you are done. Um, folks aren't aware of this, but the Bears fourth rounder was kind of the middle bridge, even though it was a compensatory pick. So it at the end of the round right now, if they don't do anything, they go from pick 50 to pick 164 God. without a pick. That's 114 picks. That's 44.5% of the players in the draft go off the board between their second, second round pick and now their fifth round pick. Can't build a team like that. It, you got to have some picks. So he's, and he's got two twos, right? So he can trade back. And, you know, there's uh, really good evidence of what you can do with just one second round trade back. Bill Belichick did it. And uh, Bill Zimmerman, who is. Uh, does Bears Banner podcast actually tracked one of those picks and sort of got all the picks that Belichick got from trading down in the second a couple of years ago. He still has a fourth rounder this year from the hall of that pick, right? And there's about eight other things he got from it. So second rounders are very valuable picks. And if he trades down once or twice, if he pulls a John Schneider and trades down twice with one of those second round picks, he could end up with a third, a fourth, another fifth, another sixth, and really sort of fill the roster, which he needs to do. And at that point, do you take a flyer on a Cole McDonald? Do you grab a James Morgan from Florida International? Right? You, you, if, if you're me, yeah, you absolutely do. You stock the quarterback room and see what sticks. You throw it all at the wall until something works. And if that means waiting until you have a first-round pick next year and, and loading up and making a run at a guy with the extra picks you picked up this year – that you can sort of, you know, pitch down the road or trade back into next year, go for it. But you got to get some extra picks, and that means you got to turn those second rounders into some more value. Hundred percent agreed. Uh, I think John Schneider and Bill Belichick uh, run two consistently successful teams for a reason, and that's because they know the value of quantity over quality. Sometimes, especially when it comes to the NFL draft, where let's be honest, it's all a crapshoot in the first place. So if everything's going to be a 50% odds of being success, you might as well get as many of those 50% odds as you can. So 100% agreement. Get the scratch Tr tickets, man. Get the scratch, get the scratch tickets. tickets. Try to try to try to hit pay dirt with those. Um, I will say one general manager that I think you and I can agree in his first two years that is absolutely killing it. Uh, I think we have some questions about individual draft picks, but as a whole in terms of how to build a team, how to build a culture, how to manage assets. I think Mike Mayock is doing one hell of a job in the free agency class that he's brought in so far this year. 
Um, in terms of value, in terms of filling holes, in terms of setting himself up to go into the draft where he is not desperate for any one single position and he can truly go BPA. I mean, you go up and down the board with everything they brought in. Corey Littleton, Nick Kwiatkowski, Malik Collins, Marcus Mariota is a backup quarterback, which when we did our, our free agency quarterback kind of preview type thing, we basically established that Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota are the same guy. They just have different reputations. You know, bringing him in as a backup, I think, is an excellent move. Uh, Nassib is your third or fourth defensive end. You know, would I do it for $8.5 million? I'm not sure about that. But, I mean, they had a lot of money to burn, and they've surrounded. Jack Lawson uh, got 10 I I mean, it's not the worst deal in the world. I guess if he's yeah. – I personally, I was hoping that they would bring in somebody that would push Furl a little bit more uh, than Nassib would or will. But again, it's it's not a horrific deal. Maybe it's just not one that I would do because I felt like they needed, I, honestly, like the Everson Griffins of the world. I would have thought they would have brought in Griffin to really push or at least help mentor Furl. Um, again, it's not. Yeah, they not, want younger guys. I know they want younger guys. They want they they have a type which they're following to yep. a T. But overall. Overall, and, and we didn't even touch on, you know, Jason Witten and Heath and all the, the veteran leadership they brought in. That culture that they are building in Vegas is incredibly strong. Um, and I think, you know, we always talk about talent wins game, but culture wins championships. I mean, that is a championship culture if I have ever seen one. Like this team is this team's ready to go, in my opinion. Raiders, baby! Yeah, it's fun <laughs> to have them back, right? Uh, they've not been on the best of footing. Um, certainly the, the move to Gruden was questioned uh, severely. Um, I did that at the time. Mayock even had his doubters. Um, I've always liked Mike. I think he does really good work. And now he gets to prove it, right? He gets to put his money where his mouth is and compete against 31 other guys that want his job. And... If you look at last year, I think a very solid start, like no major missteps. And this year in free agency, like three of these guys, actually five of these guys were guys that at one time or another, I either talked about on a podcast, identified as a target, somebody I would have liked, you know, showing up on my team. Littleton, I said, was the top inside linebacker available. Nassib, I thought, was a really sort of sneaky replacement for a guy like maybe Leonard Floyd in Chicago if he moved on, which he did. Um, Kwiatkowski, I hoped, would stay in Chicago, played certainly uh, above the level I thought capable him capable of last year. Malik Collins is a favorite, a penetrator, a disruptor through the middle. And Mariota, hey, it's nice to have a clone of your quarterback if your first-string quarterback goes down yeah. and just plug the second one in. So, you know, there's five guys that he's grabbed. The, the Witten signing, sure, uh, you know, I'm sure he brings winning habits and the guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Nothing against Jason Witten. He's not going to provide a lot as a player at this point, but that core of Littleton, Nassib, uh, Kwiatkowski, Collins, and Mariota, like those back up the young guys that they drafted last year, Josh Jacobs and, you know, Farrell, you could say what you want about him. Um, they're going to get Abraham back as a safety, right? Uh, that's, that's an exciting team and they did decently last year. They've still got a bunch of picks. They didn't give up picks to get these guys. He's going to get another solid haul. You can count on Mayock to make those picks count. And, you know, early returns are very good. I'm not going to crown him. I'm not going to call him King. I'm not going to call him great, but so far what I've seen, I'm kind of 
quietly over here with both thumbs up, smiling, going, "You, you go, Mike. You're you're bringing back Raider Nation, and and I know there's huge upset about them moving from Oakland to Las Vegas, but there's a lot of excitement too. And look, bottom line, the fans in Oakland are going to be lifelong hardcore fans, and if the Silver and Black wins it all, they're going to claim them just the same. So they've got them on a trajectory where you know a year from now. Uh, if they're really lucky two years from now, for sure, if they keep this up, that's going to be a very, very tough out in the AFC. Yeah, I just I do want to touch specifically on Corey Littleton, um, who I think beast. He's a, oh, a, he's a beast. <laughs> I, I love him. He's so good. So good in coverage. I think him and Schobert were like consensus top two linebackers in terms of just coverage ability in this free agent class. And people are saying, oh, why would you spend $12 million on him? Okay, you're in a division with Austin Eckler, Damian Williams, you know, Melvin Gordon, Phillip Lindsay. Like, there's so many running backs in that division. They have to play against six times a year that can that can catch out of the backfield and absolutely slice and dice you on third down. You need a linebacker that will not get embarrassed by them, especially Eckler, especially Williams. You need speed and fluidity and coverage ability at the linebacker position if you want any shot of surviving in that division. So I don't particularly care that they paid him $12 million. I would have done that in a heartbeat because of who they have to play. It is a no-brainer contract to me. And, it, I mean, shit, if Blake, if Blake Martinez is getting $10 million a year, paying Corey Littleton twelve is is 100% fine with me. <laughs> I'm going to say that anytime we hold up Dave Gettleman contracts as a measuring stick, that our logic is, uh, let's just say, free to be assailed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I'm with you that Corey Littleton, it's a matchup game. This is a matchup game. As an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator, your job is to find the guy on your squad that you can bring in that is better than the guy on the other squad that he will line up against or cover or compete against or try and bust down in coverage. Doesn't doesn't make a difference. And Littleton is, I think, lesser known than a lot of other sort of bigger name middle linebackers in the game. He is every bit as effective in the current NFL. Not the one people think is being played, but the one that's actually being played. And Littleton is a preeminent defender in that league and Mayock knows it. And so do a lot of other people. And if they have to pay $12 million to get that guy, like you said, in the division they're in, it's going to help them win some games. That guy is going to thrive in that culture. And he's going to be an alpha at that second level. He's got that kind of talent. hundred percent. Um, I will say in terms of, again, keeping in the theme of, of less splashy signings, not huge names that maybe not everybody knows, but, phenomenal value that will instantly make a team better the trio of defensive line upgrades that buffalo with mario addison vernon butler quentin jefferson especially quentin jefferson um, <laughs> how he got we can, we can talk oh, about the hawk yeah six that guy's and a great. half million are you kidding me? nobody it's offered him more theft. than that yeah it's theft how did nobody offer him more than six and a half million that blows my freaking mind and you got yeah. Him. There was a very yeah. There was a very oh quiet moan from the Pacific Northwest when 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 Q Big Q got signed because uh, they either call him Big Q or Q Jeff either way. But um, 
that guy has been a snap eater for the Hawks. He is a guy that has production. He's been, I don't want to say he's been loud about it, but he's been fairly under the radar. He's been fairly quiet about it, stealthy. He absolutely has produced and contributed when he's been on the field for the Hawks. And when he left, there was a lot of Seahawks fans, savvy Seahawks fans, who were like, oh, we were really hoping nobody noticed, right? And, you know, McDermott, his squad, they noticed, and they signed him. They had Vernon Butler, who I think, you know, they, look, their staff has familiarity with him from being in Carolina, um, and Mario Addison as well. Like, they are, the Bills are throwing down the gauntlet. They see, you know, <laughs> quite frankly, Tom Brady out of the division, and they are loaded up. Like, they believe in Josh Allen. They're going to ride that guy. They're going to surround him with more weapons. They already did that. They got the Stephon, uh, Stephon Diggs trade done. And now they are loading up on the defensive line to attack quarterbacks in that division. And I I like the moves. Um, kind of like you're a, a closet Bears fan. I'm a closet Bills fan. My dad's entire side of the family. Uh, born and raised in Buffalo. All my aunts and uncles still live in Buffalo. My cousins were born there. Um, you know, there's been a long amount of suffering after four Super Bowl appearances for the Bills, and it looks like the arrow's pointing up. Tom Brady leaves. They continue to add to a talented team, and boy, that D-line looks vicious now. There's going to be a play next season where Jarrett Stidham is going to be in third and nine <laughs> against Mario Addison, Ed Oliver, and, and Quentin Jefferson, backed up by... Edmonds and Milano with Hyde and Poyer and Trey White all in the set. Like, what the hell is New England going to do against that? <laughs> with a first Not as time much st- as they used to. Oh, the my God. Yeah, the Bills fans are going to erupt. Like, Bills, uh, everybody thinks about Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and Andre Reid and the K-Gun offense. And, look, all those guys were fantastic. The Bills offensive line, Smurless, all those guys. That was an exciting side of the ball, but, you know, Bruce Smith, uh, Cornelius Bennett, um, Mm -hmm. all the guys they had in the secondary. Like, the Bills' defense was ravaging back in the day. And if they get to anywhere near that level, I'm not saying that Mario Addison's Bruce Smith don't don't get crazy with it. Uh, You know, they've got a lot of talent. They can rotate it in, keep fresh, and bring them in waves, and they're going to do it. And if it gels, it's always a question of whether that, whether the guys gel with their teammates, whether the guys gel with the system, how quickly it comes together with new additions, always a thing. If this unit comes together quickly, they're going to hunt. They're going to be a force in that division. They are lining up that team to be very well set to compete for a division title. I don't know if we're going to get Bills versus Chiefs or Bills versus Ravens next season. I haven't looked at, at regular season opponents in a while. But those two games, I would absolutely kill to see. Because they are going to be so fun. So yeah, fun. Super physical. Super. Oh my god. I mean, that's that's a body bag game if I've ever seen one, just because both teams just beat the crap out of people. Uh, I, man, I can't wait to watch Buffalo next year. I, they're going to be like, cause I refuse to watch Texans games now until Bill O'Brien's fired. Uh, I'm going to watch the bears every week and I'm going to watch the bills every week. And I'll probably watch the Cardinals every week. Cause all three of those teams, I don't think are getting enough respect. And I think they are going to be addicting 
to watch next year, all for different reasons. So I, I can't wait to watch Buffalo. Um, I mean, God, speaking of addicting teams to watch, how many times have we seen Cleveland over the last two years add a player and we just we keep going through the roster and we're like, okay, star, 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 star. You know, clearly they had their problems last year. I think it was really mostly about coaching staff. But in terms of being addicting to watch, in terms of being a team that you want to watch every Sunday, whether you root for them or not, how do you not want to watch the Browns now that they've added Billings, uh, Joseph, and B.J. Goodson on top of everybody they've already signed? That we already talked about, you know, Hooper, Conklin. I mean, I don't know how they have the money to afford all of this, but like literally you go through the Cleveland roster, they might not have one of the most impressive rosters in the entire league. Yeah, and they're taking chances on wild cards too. I mean, I know you're very familiar with Kevin Johnson and was a great player before injury. You know, who knows? Maybe he comes back healthy, regains some form. But Billings, highly underrated, strong as hell. Again, a down eater in the middle of the line. Um, you know, has some sneaky pass rush ability. He was one of those workout stars, came through the combine. Everybody was amazed by his strength. Crazy, crazy strong. One of the strongest guys in the league. And I think can play a really solid contributing role on the Cleveland defense. Carl Joseph, we talked about as a possible target for anybody that needed a solid contributing strong safety. Again, was drafted highly in the first round. Played decently. Um, you know, hasn't played at a star level, but has played at a solid level and is a big hitter. So he's going to add some fireworks to their secondary when he's in there. And I like B.J. Goodson. I've liked him since he came out in the draft. He's got some speed. He's athletic. He's a little bit undersized. But, you know, he's when he connects, he's going to be a very good sort of – I don't know that he's going to start for them. He might. You know, they've had some linebackers move on, but I I think he's one of those talented guys that gets overlooked a little bit. His contract's incredibly reasonable. He's one of those sort of glue guys, lunch pail guys, whatever you want to call them, you know, team builder guys. You got to have guys like that on the roster. They got to play, you know, backup inside linebacker, backup outside linebacker, maybe special teams. And Goodson, great speed, again, can attack ball carriers, has some special teams experience after the last couple of years, like it's a good trio. It's not the headlining trio. Certainly Conklin and Hooper are going to get all the headlines in the ink in Cleveland. But these three guys are, again, sort of foundational guys that you bring in to build your team who are going to contribute maybe a little bit more than people think they might. So who would you rather have at Mike? Sione Takitaki or BJ Goodson? Because that's I think Mac Wilson's probably locked in for Will. Um, so I think yeah, I Mike, would hope. And, you know, I would, I would hope so. Yeah. So I think the true competition is going to be Taki Taki and Goodson for Mike. Um, I don't, I don't really know if they're going to play a whole lot of base. So I think like it'll be you know, pretty much just yeah. Mike and Will getting most of the snaps. So sure. It, it, right now, who would you take just going off your college evaluation of Taki Taki? Cause obviously he didn't play a whole lot last year. Uh, Goodson or him to be the starter at Mike. Oh, it's a really good question. Um, which down, what distance? <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, maybe one of those guys rises. Uh, it, you know, again, new coaching staff in Cleveland. They're going to have a sort of fresh slate with everybody. Um, BJ Gibbs is a new arrival. Takitaki's been there. Uh, but again, you got a new system. You got new coaches coming in. You got new requirements, new things that are uh, desirable traits in those systems. And maybe one of them through OTAs, assuming there are OTAs, 
Um, if there's no OTAs, I'd say Taki Taki because he's familiar with his teammates. Uh, a little bit of an advantage moving into whatever we get for a preseason. Um, but if it was a straight up regular year with full OTAs and better mini camps and all that, then um, I'd say, you know, the coaching staff's going to have the things that they like and whichever of those players uh, rises to that. I don't think there's a huge, uh, I can't think of one defining trait from either of those guys that's like, oh no, they want this. Again, because there's a new coaching staff, I couldn't tell you what they want right now on their defense or what they value more highly. Um, you know, it's two good options to fill at a sort of non-premium position, let's say that. I think the only thing that we know that they value highly, and this is just because I got told by my friends on the Browns over and over and over Cheater. again. Cheater! Cheater! <laughs> the only thing that they would tell me, because again, they were when I was talking to them, they were still in the restructure and everything, was fullback, fullback, fullback. We need a fullback. That's what Kevin <laughs> wants. Kevin wants a fullback. We're getting a fullback. We don't know who. We don't know how. We're getting a fullback. And then they traded for Andy Andy, Jam, uh, Andy Janovich from Denver because Denver yeah. they're kind of moving into a system that doesn't really use that as much. And Stefanski yep. absolutely wants to run twenty one personnel as much as humanly possible. And so they sure. threw a seventh rounder, I think it was, at Denver to get Janovich, who's a very versatile fullback. He's got solid hands, good blocker, really understands the kind of system they run. Uh, he's very comfortable. Tough as hell. Oh, he's super tough. He's special teams value. I mean, they're going to run outside zone over and over and over again. He really understands angles. Like, that was, again, that's that's a pickup that nobody's talking about that's going to make a massive impact for that offense because they're going to be using him a lot. A yeah. lot, a lot, a lot. And I, so I think everything Cleveland's done, you know, beyond bringing in Billings, who I think gives them yet another piece on that defensive line, which is, I don't want to say it's loaded, but it's pretty damn close to loaded. Um, you know, in addition to Joseph, Sandejo, I'm not super wild about as a starter. I, I still think Redwine, I think, deserves a shot to be the starting free safety. But Sandejo, I think, could be a strong veteran presence, potentially get some special teams work. Um when you look at bringing in, obviously, Conklin, who we talked about last episode, who some $14 million is just an unbelievable deal for him. I, I, you're, you could potentially be looking at, like, a 22 personnel look with Najoku and Hooper, um, and then Janovich and Chubb or Hunt, and then Odell, I guess, would be the <laughs> the default. But, I mean, you still got Jarvis. You still got Taewon Taylor. Yeah. Like... It's, it is an unfathomable amount of talent on this Browns roster relative to, I think, what people are used to seeing from the Browns. But over the yeah. last two or three years, they have truly built a juggernaut on paper. And I think it's up to the coach and it's up to the quarterback to make use of that juggernaut. There was the only way that I think they lost so many games last year was because of who was their coach. Um, yeah, and their and their staff not helping up Baker Mayfield. We know, yeah, I, I agree. We we know that they're changing Baker's footwork to get his depth shorter in drops to help out their tackles. Um, we know that Baker's working harder this offseason to establish chemistry with his receivers so that all those interceptions off tip balls because he misses behind them by a yard don't happen anymore. We know they're committing to building the offensive line and adding weapons and you know, installing a system that actually fits Baker's skill set. Like, am I crazy for thinking that it's them and Baltimore for the division and that it's really not that far off, like, between them? Am I nuts for that? 
I don't know that you're nuts. I'm just super gun shy because I looked at all the talent last year and the success they'd had the year before that, and they got rid of Hugh, and I was like, yeah, it's time, right? Dog pound, let's go. And yeah, it didn't happen. So I'm a little bit gun shy about saying that. I love their personnel on paper just like you do. I look down every position and say, yep, like that guy. Yep, love that guy coming out. Yep, that guy's a sleeper if they can just unlock him. And, you know, plus they have the top end talent. And, you know, a guy like Case Keenum, he's there. If Baker gets the slobber knocked out of him, Keenum can come in and he'll throw it up. And those receivers are going to appreciate that, right? OBJ is going to go get it. And Joku's going to be like, sure, he's going to toss it to me when I'm covered? Cool. I'll do it. So they've set themselves up to compete again on paper. And it's all about how Baker gels with Stefanski and the offensive staff and whether he takes to those changes. And again, how fast that defense comes together with these new pieces, these new supporting pieces to support, like you said, uh, you know, Hogan Joby and all those guys. Like they, uh, the talent on that roster is crazy, crazy deep. So uh, they'll be a fun team to watch. I hope. I thought they'd be an exceptionally fun team to watch last year and gave up on about week six because it became very clear that the coaching staff wasn't capable of doing what they needed to do to bring out what they needed to bring out. How many games would Sean McVay win with that roster? Like um, if, if you knew you had more a good than the coach. Rams, <laughs> <laughs> more than the Rams. Um, wow. I, I, you know, I almost want to say how many games would another Sean win with that roster, which is Sean Payton. Oh God. 12. I would say pretty much lock for easily double digits and probably 11 if things broke their way 12. Like, you know, straight up. Just they, they would trade, split, trade they would split with Baltimore. They'd beat the tar out of Cincy. Um, you know, I, I can't remember who they're playing in the other division. I don't really battles, think it but... would matter. If you give Peyton that much talent, um, and again, he meshes with Baker and they don't fight, like, you, you could reel off a lot of games. It's a very, very talented roster. That's what we're trying to say, folks. We know we've been kicking the dead horse here for five minutes, but go look at the roster seriously. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's um, loading. What would you say, because I, I think Detroit's made a, a lot of moves as well. Um, I don't know if I'm as wild about their overall roster as I am with Cleveland, but I think there's still yeah. a lot to work with there. Um. I think there's a clear theme on their additions, which is we're bringing in as many Patriots as humanly possible, which isn't necessarily, what a shocker. It's, it's not a bad thing. Patriots coach. <laughs> I mean, we love Jamie Collins. We love Harmon. I mean, again, it's not a bad thing. Um, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure if Trufant is a fit with Matt Patricia, not in terms of skill set, in terms of personality. Um, I, Cause Patricia has a very, unique coaching style and i'm not super sure that trufant's gonna be like okay with that um but i mean we'll I'm gonna see. ask you a question about that though because we had an opportunity when we were at the senior bowl to really sort of see patricia and his staff and how they worked and that's an enlightening experience for anybody that gets the chance is to watch how the coaching staff works with the talent 
through those really the three days of practices, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the big days to watch them on field, how they run the drills, how they move people, what they what coaching points they're dropping, um, how they get into guys or not. And I got to say, of the two coaching staffs, I was much more impressed with Patricia and his staff. And it seems like he's adjusted because he came in. Uh, again, uh, the division that I root for, right? I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so NFC North. Seemed like Patricia came in the first year. What I heard from all the Detroit beat writers was, man, it's sort of his way or the highway. He's not very relatable to us, to them. Not sure he's going to make it, right? And he seemed so much more... Well, how did he seem to you in Mobile? And then I'll tell you what Jovial? I thought. Jovial? In a word, just jovial? Like, he's, he, was, he was great. I love that. Yeah, very comfortable in his own skin, right? He but he, he coaches have, the hell out of people. I mean, he, yeah, he but is rough. He seems on... to have hit his groove, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He was greeting guys. I would say the same thing. Um, like it was family. It was familial. Uh, you know, he seemed so much more comfortable as a person, as a coach. His staff was dialed. Definitely his practices were much tighter and more well-run. Uh, than the Cincinnati staff, I would say. And, uh, you know, he was a little bit, uh, he definitely had, they had their agenda, right? They knew what they wanted and they were okay with that. It wasn't that they were trying to ram it down people's throats. It was, hey, this is the way we do things. If you want to come along, we're going to notice. I think Detroit could turn a corner um, because of that, because he's found a little bit more of his comfort. Now, it's a huge year in Detroit for him, uh, you know, and the GM, I think they're kind of tied together. Um, but he, it seems like he's figured that out. So I think the thing with Trufant, what I'm sort of driving at here, might be less of an issue than it would have been a year or two ago. I, I think there's a reason why he brought in all these Patriots that know him and know that kind of culture, um, which is a very coach centric culture it's not a player centric culture not saying that's a bad thing that's just how it is a lot of yeah, teams it's how it's aligned you know sure. we we see we see the good side of that with the patriots where teams buy in and they trust the coach we see the bad side of it with the texans where players don't trust the coach um it's a very results oriented type of gamble i think where if you're winning and you're successful the players will accept it and I think the reason why he brought in a lot of Patriots was to reinforce the locker room with guys that are used to that environment that can almost like reassure the locker room of like, trust us, he's amazing, you got to listen to him. And and almost getting more voices to buy into that kind of culture because they already bought in with him when he was in New England. I think that's part of the reason. It wasn't just because they know the system, it was because they know the culture and can kind of reinforce what Patricia wants among the guys that are already on his team. I think that's a gamble that is well worth it. Um, I, I don't know if I would say that Patricia's on the hot seat as much as Detroit media wants him to be, because Detroit media doesn't like Patricia. But I do think that he needs to have results this season or he's in trouble. And so he's bringing in guys that can help his team buy in and bring results this season just irrespective of their individual talent levels. I love Collins as a linebacker. I love Trufant as a corner. Um, I love Harmon as like a nickel and a safety and a special teamer. Vitae, I think if they keep him at guard, I'm okay with that. Uh, we talked about uh, Nick Williams before the show. I think it was a very sneaky signing for only $5 million a year for rotational defensive tackle because they had to replace Ashawn Robinson. 
So, like, the actual roster moves themselves in a vacuum, I think, are fine. Um, but the culture building, like we talked about with Vegas, was even more important. It wasn't just that they brought in names. It was which names they brought in. And I think that's going to go a long way to keeping, honestly, Patricia around for more than just 2020. Yeah, I think that's true. They needed an outside corner. They knew they were going to trade Slay. Desmond Trufant, one of the best available in terms of talent-wise now, fit-wise, we'll see. Nick Williams, I just want to say to all the Detroit fans out there, you're going to love Nick Williams. He is a hard-working dude. He is a little bit like Quentin Jefferson that we talked about earlier coming from the Seahawks. He's a guy that had production, especially when there were uh, stars around him before Keem Hicks got hurt. He was wrecking people. Uh, preseason, he looked very, very good. Early in the season, first month of the season for Chicago, it's very effective. Also happens to be one of the largest human beings I've ever oh, seen. Oh, he's gigantic. His, yeah. His biceps are about the size of my chest, and I'm not a small guy. Like, I'm six foot, 200 pounds. And standing next to Nick Williams, I swear to God, his bicep right below his shoulder is probably about the size of my chest. He is just a massive dude. Very nice, very relatable guy, but uh, had quiet production. Was really hoping that he would stay with the Bears. He moves to a division rival, which is kind of a double bummer, but um, Detroit fans are going to love him. And, and Patricia, I'm sure, loves just that ethic. Lunch pail guy, doesn't have to pay him a ton of money, knows what he's going to get out of him, and can count on him to do his job. Not many people are going to move him off that sort of end or five tech spot, no matter how they use him. So congratulations to the Lions on getting Nick Williams. He's a he's a very solid player. I want to get your thoughts on, I guess this will be, we're running a little bit long, so this will be the last thing we talk about. There's so many to talk about, obviously. We'll probably do another episode on the remaining free agent teams. I want to get your thoughts on this trio, or really of, of, the, of the general offseason they've had before I give mine, because I think they've had one of the quieter, but also one of the best offseasons in the league, and that's the Chargers who have signed a lot of really, really uh, productive veteran players that are kind of going all in on one last ride. And that's Brian Balaga, Linval Joseph, and Chris Harris, all in one free agency hall, all for, in my opinion, good contracts. Um, Quarterback is obviously still a question. Depends on how much you love Terod Taylor. But I think in terms of filling needs and filling needs with responsible money, it's hard to find a better trio than Balaga, Joseph, and Chris Harris for the Chargers. They're all productive. Um, Balaga, I have respect for, you know, former Packer. Don't love him. Really like his fit, though, with the Chargers. Think he, again, like you said, fills a need. They got him for what I would call him a, you know, responsible contract, especially given his pedigree. Uh, Linval Joseph, uh, have always been a fan of his ability to just shut things down in the middle. Uh, his last time up in free agency, I was really hoping the Bears would sign him as an interior defender. And Chris Harris was a bit of a surprise to end up in a Chargers uniform. Really thought he was going to go probably to the Chiefs. And the fact that he chose a division rival. And let's talk about that defense for a minute. Like, the Chargers defense looks... Oh, it's unbelievable. Again, this is on paper... But the addition of Chris Harris, that secondary, like, oh, man, forget it. There's just talent at every level. Like, that is a that is a scary defense to play. We talk about the, the Bills' third down package. Here's the Chargers' third down package. Joey Bosa, oh. jo- Joey Bosa, Linval Joseph, 
uh, Melvin Ingram. Uh, I was a huge fan of Jerry Tillery, so we'll see what he does oh, in year two. Tillery's so underrated. I love Tillery coming out of Notre Dame. I thought he was a top 15 talent. They got him, I think, at like 19 or 20, somewhere around there. Um, so that's your front four and <laughs> your linebackers. Um, Do we need got- to keep going? That's that's enough to cause anybody to throw the ball in two seconds. Your secondary, Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, Desmond King, Derwin James, Nasir Adderley. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's – I mean, they are built to compete in that division. We've talked about how many talented running backs, wide receivers are in that division, not to mention quarterbacks for sure. But going against the Chargers defense, it, there's it's not a – week you're going to look forward to as an offensive coordinator like you're going to look at the talent again health has been a major problem with the chargers like the biggest problem for i think anybody in the league the chargers sort of walking wounded for the last it's just a joke right somebody well multiple somebody's always go down doesn't always happen on defense but um you know we've seen hunter henry get injured just the list of injuries out of the chargers camp in the last two or three years if you're not familiar with it go take a look it's vicious if they stay healthy, which is a massive if for them, you're going to look at that defense and go, oh, well, I'll – what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> what are my matchups? Right? Yeah. yeah, where am I going to go? Where are the holes? There aren't really holes. It'd be great to kind of run inside zone off the left side or the right side, maybe attack one of the linebackers that's not as good. But good luck getting through that line to do it. And by the time you, you know, stumble through the first four defenders, if you can get a couple of doubles off, you're going to get cleaned up like you're going to get cleaned up hard. So there's just, you know, if I'm sitting down to sketch out a plan for the week and I look at the personnel and the scheme of the Chargers, oh boy, we better try some deception and get them to move, which isn't necessarily going to work either because they're players in the secondary who are their quarterbacks, you know, are pretty heady players it's they're not going to be easy to bait and are terribly athletic on top of that so even if they do take a wrong step in the bucket they're going to be able to recover it's just not a defense that's going to give you a lot of room to breathe they they have honestly one weakness in my opinion and that's speed at boundary corner um because hayward and harris neither one of them are really burners ironically they have more speed at safety than they do at boundary corner so I think if there was one weakness that say like the Chiefs could get them on, it's like Tyreek Hill, Michael Hardman on just like straight up go routes. If they can get one on ones and catch them in like yeah, a single rotate him, rotate him at the outside. That's sure. like it. But you, you Pat has to survive long enough against Bosa, Joseph, and Ingram to throw it. So in a way, it's a weakness, but like kind of a situational weakness. Like they they have to almost go into max. Yeah, they've got some overlap to cover yeah. that up. So you got to go into max protect to really punish them with it. And we know like that zone scheme is just, they, they try to force everything underneath anyway, and then they rally and tackle. So I think the, yeah. the, the chiefs matchup specifically with the chargers, like we could do a whole episode on just schematically how that even would look. And we'll, Ooh, that'd be fun. We'll probably do one as soon as we get the schedule, uh, we'll probably kind of figure out what, cause I think like that would be a really good like preview episode for when they play each other next year. Um, cause yeah. we're, you know, we were talking about matchup defenses that it, it going up against, against matchup offenses. Like the chiefs are a matchup offense and the chargers have literally every piece they need <laughs> to, to shut that down. Um, I think it's almost guaranteed that we get a Sunday night football matchup between these two teams because it is going to be fireworks no matter what. 
Yeah, and they've still got draft picks, right? And There's they a lot still of have talent. picks, yes. yes. If they, they could add, you know, some fireworks there, uh, either in the secondary, you know, they could add another sort of speedy, uh, you know, multi-role safety oh my corner god. nickel. There's a, what if they get Isaiah I know, Simmons? I oh my god. was going to say, I was working on it. You beat me to it. Oh, but just, if you put oh. him in that, then you can rotate him everywhere from outside to to fully inside to i mean imagine him as a as a sort of big nickel you know uh four slot edge rusher hybrid wide nine right they don't need him but i want it to happen i know you want it to happen because you can just take him and derwin james and just like flip them around and you get that positionless defense that everybody's talking about and you could wreck people with it. Cause if you don't know which two of those is coming in addition to their front three or four, depending on how they're aligned, we like any five man rush involving those, uh, six players, <laughs> like just pick your five. What do you do? Like if I you're mean, the chiefs, what do you do? Travis Kelsey? It's, Oh, we'll just get a matchup on a linebacker. Oh, that linebacker is Isaiah Simmons. Crap. Okay, let's get a matchup on a yeah. safety. Oh, that safety's Derwin James. Okay, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna kind of the same thing. <laughs> we're running six man so, protection today. <laughs> yeah, it would be a really fun pickup. I don't know that that's necessarily the way they're gonna go. Um, but you mentioned Tyrod again, following the Bills. I've always been a Tyrod fan. I think he's a bit underrated. Um, there'll be some fun fireworks for the first half of the year before DCs kind of lock him down again. Uh, there's a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball there. So I think Tyrod Taylor is a good, solid player for them. And, you know, if they don't go out and get a Tua or a Herbert or a, a Love for that matter, because I, I think that's maybe more likely than, than people think it is, uh, it'll still be a really interesting offense to watch, sort of solidly run. A lot of the things we said uh, at the top of the episode about Teddy being a point guard, Tyrod Taylor can do that. And he's certainly got plenty of talent on the offensive side of the ball. The defense, we just talked about it. It's matchup nightmare. It's a wrecking crew. And if they add more talent to it, which they're likely to do, look out. That's, I, I think, a matchup episode for kind of every week for the Chargers would be a lot of fun to do. But with the time we got left, uh, there's still eh, you know, a lot of hole pluggers, a lot of guys at the bottom end of the free agency spectrum, sort of third Third wave, if you want to call it that, low-end contracts, guys that didn't get picked up who can fill holes, again, just so a team can go into the draft and say, we could play right now. We don't need a blank because we got one. Who's the guy that's left on the board that you really like? I mean, maybe it's the Texans fan in me, but I mean, I I can't not look at Jadavian Clowney and, and, and see all the things he can do. I get he's not going to get the market maybe he expected. It probably has to do a little bit with the lack of ability for teams to check his medical. Um, I, I think sure. that's that's probably a huge part of it, to be honest. Is he the best pass rusher? No. I mean, he's, he's pretty stiff in the hips. But in terms of versatility, uh, you can line him up literally anything from three technique all the way out to like a wide nine and get production. Um, I think using him as kind of like that that roving Mike linebacker um, as a blitzer on third downs where you just line him up over the center and, and say go hunt, which he did in Houston, and he did a little bit in Seattle um, because especially with somebody as explosive and as powerful as him, 
if you can just tell him to line up over the center and then just attack the center before he can get set uh, with that snap hand back up into his chest, you can blow him off the ball and immediately collapse the pocket. He's famous for doing that all the time. And so I think having that piece where he's strong enough to play three technique and hold up against the run, he's fast enough to play edge and get at least some production as a pass rusher. Not a whole lot. I mean, he's not Khalil Mack, but he gets enough. Um, The ability to put him on the second level, the ability to play standing up or with his hand in the dirt. Like, he's so versatile and so important, and it's it's hard to really comprehend how important he is with his skill set until he's on your team. Then you see, oh, okay, teams literally can't run to the left side because they're averaging .3 yards per carry every time they do because that's where he is. Okay, maybe this is important. So it's it's... It's almost hard to quantify until you look at his full body of work and then see how big a difference he makes. Do I think he should make $20 million a year? Again, that really entirely relies on medical, but I know what my eyes see, and my eyes see a really damn good football player, and if I was any team, I don't care what system I run because he can fit any system, I want Jadavian Clowney. Yeah, he's tremendously effective. I'm I'm with it that the medical's a thing, but he played you know pretty strongly in Seattle last year. Again, not the super flashy bendy sack, you know, edge that everybody believes is the end all be all and, and sort of rates edges against. Right. It's I I will go to my grave or at least uh, if that's anytime soon saying that, you know, modern NFL fans over rely on the sack as a statistic. But I'm, I'm with you. Clowney is a, an effective player and the money is kind of the question, especially as we move farther on, less teams have it. So the fits are going to decline and and probably overall his paycheck's going to decline, but doesn't mean he's any less of a player. So I was going to go with an edge rusher as well. I was going to go with Everson Griffin. Uh, very familiar with him in Minnesota. Still think he has stuff left in the tank and can be a guy um, much like Quinn that the Bears just signed that can come off the edge and provide a bunch of juice uh, and really enhance most teams pass rush. But what I really came down to is Eric Reed. Eric Reed had a bit of a down year last year, and people jumped on me on Twitter this week, not surprising, and said, well, you have a million tackles, depending on your team's statistic of choice. He had like 95 tackles and four sacks. That's a down year. Uh, to which I answered, uh, you know, safety tackles are not necessarily the best way to tell if a safety's playing well. Because if a safety has a ton of tackles, you've got other holes. That's, that's not what you want. You don't want a safety with 125 <laughs> tackles. So Eric Reed, uh, very heady safety Good hard hitter. Still, I would say nothing wrong with him physically. Had a bit of a down year in coverage. His coverage grade was about half of most of his previous years, no matter whose statistics you use. I think he's just perfectly placed as a rebound player, as a player that could go in, uh, provide coverage. I think his levels are going to rebound. I don't think this is a late career sort of a slide for him. And you know, quite frankly, unfortunately for him, but fortunately for teams, nobody's going to pay him a ton of money right now because he had a bit of a down year last year. That allows a team like, say, oh, I don't know, uh, the Bears to sweep in and pay him not a lot of money because uh, if you look at what safeties are getting right now, it's they're not getting bank. It's not a it's not a premium position for the most part. And you could get a guy like Eric Reed, match him with a guy like Eddie Jackson. And the two of those guys would provide you a very capable, very smart, physical, fast safety tandem that allows Chuck Pagano, again, a former defensive coach, to 
run a lot of different coverages, a lot of different schemes and do a lot of different things with his defense and not worry about what his safeties are doing or really what their limits are. Right. Reed still has a full variety of skills and he's a good tackler. He's physical. And usually not last year, but usually his pass coverage rates are really good. So I think Eric Reed is is one of those guys that um, has some tread left on the tire and is going to come at a team to a great value. Yeah, and I think especially if he goes to Chicago, one of the main values is that he he can actually play in the box and survive in the box. Unlike I think Ha 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 has not really you know built to be a strong safety. Um, he really sees the field better from a a deep alignment. He doesn't really see it as well from like a ten to fifteen yard depth and then kind of come up and, and play along the line of scrimmage as like a force player. Um, whereas Reed, I think can, and the fact that Reed can do that means that Eddie can be a full time free safety again, where he was extraordinarily effective in 2018, arguably should have been the defensive player of the year. Um, but he, he had to spend a lot more time near the line of scrimmage last year because ha ha couldn't do it. Um, and I think, I don't want to say it limited him as a player, but I think it took away, a lot of potential game-changing production that Eddie has when he plays deep. And so having Reed there will let Eddie be Eddie. Yeah, and you mentioned it in when you were talking about the Chargers. And Eddie is best when he can dig his heels in and drive on the ball. Yes. Like, he's a very good deep third player, but he's also best or most impactful or makes most of those game-changing plays when he can have it in front of him and break on the ball. He's got a very good click and close. He's got former he's got cornerback in his in his past um, at Alabama. He played both positions. And that is what he does. It's almost like that zone float look where he is waiting. He sees whatever's occurring. Because his instincts are so good, that click and close to come forward in the defense, you know, and, and make a play on the ball is what really makes him special. That's harder to do when you're jacked up against the line of scrimmage. So again, give him a little bit of depth and allow him to drive forward on those plays. And you're going to see a rejuvenated, um, stat line for Eddie Jackson. He was still very effective last year, but he didn't have the splash plays. Yeah. And largely those are where those plays come from. They, they, they had him playing, the hook zone so damn much because ha ha couldn't do it or at least not as well. Um, and if you don't have a good hook zone player and you're playing a lot of single high coverages, whether it's, you know, cover three or, you know, maybe a little bit of cover six, if you don't have a good hook zone player that can like not get totally roasted in the seams, which ha ha couldn't do, then unfortunately it just kind of forced Eddie into that role. And I think that's why ha ha is no longer a bear is because they know what Eddie's the best at and they want to they want to sign somebody who I think can let him be that. So I think Eric Reed, even though he's not a bear yet, I almost imagine him in a Bears jersey at this point because he's a perfect fit. Yeah, nice nice synergy. So it'd be it'd be really cool if the two of them could come together. Yeah. Well we should probably get out of here because we've been at this an hour and twenty minutes, but before we do that, I wanted to give a huge thank you for the huge takeoff of both the YouTube channel for bootleg football and the podcast, the reception has been off the charts on both channels. Can't thank you all enough. Want you guys to stay safe guys and gals to stay safe. We'll keep cranking out the content. Um, you know, if you're stuck in your house or, or can't move or, 
you got a self-distance, no problem. Uh, we'll be giving you as much as we can. And we might even be looking at some live stuff coming up. So take a look for that. Could be maybe, I don't know, a live mock draft on Twitch. Cough, um, cough, But hint, what do you hint. got? Yeah, cough, <laughs> cough. Well, no coughing right now. Just hint, hint. Uh, so what do you got coming up, Brett? I'm working on a Joe Burrow film room episode. Um, I, I will fully credit EJ for indoctrinating me into the church of Joe Burrow is a sociopathic <laughs> serial killer. Uh, he is, he is 100% yeah, a serial killer. Because, like, yeah. man, you, you miss on him once, and he will murder you. He is so yeah, good under he pressure. He does not let you get a second chance. If you let him get free, his eyes come up immediately, and he will massacre you. But I'm sure you will lay that out very clearly in the film room for everybody that loves your work there. So... Look for that as well, but thanks so much for sticking with us. Uh, we are extremely grateful that you guys are hanging with us, enjoying the content. You've put on some great comments on YouTube. Uh, feel free to go into any of your major podcast suppliers, leave reviews there. That does help us get uh, into the algorithm and seen by even more folks, so that's fantastic. Um, but you can find my work at Windy City Gridiron. You can follow me on Twitter at the Draftsman FB. Where does everybody find your stuff, Brett? Ah, uh, that is at Brett Coleman everywhere. That's K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. It is a super German spelling. Or you just type in the film room on YouTube, and I'm sure my stuff will pop up. Cool. Well, uh, we will be back at you fairly quickly. Uh, as Brett said, we'll probably have another episode on free agency. But until then, hang tight, stay safe, keep listening to the content, and we'll be back before you know it.